chapters thirty seven and thirty eight of taken at the flood by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain thirty seven dr crow's opinion dr crow the london physician appeared at Perriam in the dusk of the following afternoon he was the great man for all patrician ailments having as it were a divine right to cure the aristocracy landed and commercial the episcopacy and the bench or if incurable to usher them decorously across life's mystic threshold to the unseen land beyond it he was a square-built genial-looking gentleman with an ample brow a large massively moulded face and dark eyes whose lustre years of closest study and hardest work had not extinguished he had come more than two hundred miles to see sir aubrey but a quarter of an hour in the sick-room and ten minutes in consultation with mr stimson comprised all the time that he devoted to the consideration of the case what he said in those ten minutes no one knew but mr stimson but as he retired from the dressing-room where that brief conference had been held lady perriam emerged from the shadowy darkness of the corridor to intercept the great physician dr crow gave a little surprised look at sight of so fair a creature in that gloomy old house whose unbroken quiet had struck him as almost sepulchral is there any hope sylvia asked eagerly the doctor replied dubiously in those smooth placid tones which tell so little to the anxious ear my dear young lady i am not without hope that your father's life husbands murmured mr stimson in the physician's ear dr crow gave another surprised look but went on unfalteringly that your husband's life may be prolonged perhaps for many years but will he get well again nay my dear madam there is no reason that his bodily health should not improve with careful nursing replied mr crow will he recover his mind asked sylvia with increasing anxiety will he be what he was at the beginning of the winter what he was yesterday morning even alas madam i fear never answered dr crow with tones of profoundest regret long habit had taught him to speak of his patients as if each new sufferer had been his boyhood's playfellow the bosom friend of his youth the companion of his manhood or a beloved and cherished brother the tone was soothing though conventional disconsolate widows sobbed upon dr crow's shoulder and forgot that he had not been the familiar friend of their departed ones hapless mothers pressed his kindly hand and if the doctor was somewhat exaggerated in his expressions of regret he had at least a tender heart and compassion for all sufferers what cried sylvia will he live on for years to be a very old man perhaps and remain always as he is now without memory saying the same words over and over again unconscious of the repetition at times hardly recognizing the most familiar faces will he always be like that always is a long word dear lady Perriam answered the doctor there may be some slight improvement we will hope so the medicines i have prescribed may have a better effect on the clouded brain than even i venture to hope we are in the hands of providence but i will not conceal from you that sir arthur aubrey whispered mr stimson i cannot deny that sir aubrey's mind has received a severe shock and i entertain little hope of his permanent recovery the mind may in some measure regain its tone but there will be i apprehend always a cloudiness even a childishness of intellect for which dear lady perriam we must prepare ourselves i have promised mr stimson to come down again in about a month's time when i may be able to speak with greater certainty 
in the meantime we are quite agreed as to the treatment and whatever regret you may naturally feel at seeing your husband's impaired intellect dear madam you may yet console yourself with the thought that you have him still with you he might have been taken away altogether and think how much worse that would have been sylvia was silent dr crow pressed her hand gently and withdrew escorted by the respectful stimson what a lovely young woman said the physician as they went with hushed footsteps down the broad carpetless oak stairs and how young hardly twenty i should think not twenty i believe answered mr stimson she appears quite devoted to the poor old gentleman she ought to be devoted to him replied mr stimson who with the county generally disapproved of sir aubrey's marriage she was only a parish schoolmaster's daughter however he added remembering his duty to his patron i believe she's a very amiable person and as you say devoted to sir aubrey quite a pleasing thing to see said dr crow thanks my dear sir you are very good he added graciously in acknowledgment of the neatly folded bank-note which mr stimson gently insinuated into his hand the yellow chariot had been sent to meet dr crow at the headingham station and now waited to take him back there that stately equipage had scarcely driven away with its distinguished occupant when a humbler vehicle a shabby-looking fly drove round the broad gravel sweep before parium place mr stimson had lingered at the door to watch the great physician's departure he now waited to see the newcomer the nurse i suppose he said to himself the surgeon was right a slender pale-faced woman alighted from the fly and looked wistfully about as if in quest of someone to whom to address herself she saw mr stimson and hesitated doubtful whether he were a servant or a gentleman and whether in the latter case she might venture to speak to him she was decently but suitably clad in an iron-grey linsey gown a black shawl and bonnet but simple as these things were they were worn with a neatness that was almost grace and the stranger looked like a lady a superior-looking person thought mr stimson noting every detail with his observant eye he went forward as the flyman lifted down the stranger's poor little trunk and relieved her from her evident embarrassment you're the nurse lady Perriam has sent for i conclude he said yes sir can i see lady Perriam, if you please you shall see her presently but i should like to have a few words with you first about the treatment and so on i am the family doctor i am quite at your service sir oh you'd better get some refreshment first and rest yourself a little i can wait half an hour no sir i won't trouble you to wait i am quite ready to receive your instructions so be it i shan't be sorry to get home to dinner just step in here for a minute mr stimson led the way into the dining-room where the butler and his subordinate had just finished laying the table for two only to-night sir aubrey's accustomed place was a blank here candles were lighted and a bright fire burning and in this light the surgeon made a closer survey of the nurse's countenance where had he seen a face which this recalled to him he could not tell yet there was something in this careworn visage curiously familiar i hope you have had plenty of experience said mr stimson i have had much experience of sickness sir have you ever been a hospital nurse no sir have you any certificates no sir that's a pity 
you come here as it were without a character and the place you are to fill is an important one lady perriam knows me sir i should have thought that would have been sufficient i am here as lady perriam's servant it is sufficient as to moral character but lady perriam's approval is hardly a certificate of capacity she is too inexperienced herself to know whether you are capable of discharging the required duties if you find me incapable you can dismiss me sir answered the woman with a tone in which meekness was curiously mingled with a quiet firmness a woman who might be equal to either fortune able to face ruin calmly of course returned mr stimson but i don't want to expose my patient to the hazard of an incompetent nurse have you ever attended upon a paralytic patient yes sir i nursed an old gentleman so afflicted for nearly six months this was the truth even adversity's bitter school had failed to make mrs carford a liar you could refer me to the friends of that patient i suppose if lady perriam should require such a reference sir i am able to give it answered the woman with dignity very well said mr stimson then we can but try you i like your appearance you seem to have seen better days the nurse let this suggestion pass unanswered she put in no claim to bygone gentility what is your name by the way carter sir mrs carter good i am mr stimson of monkhampton sir aubrey's medical adviser for the last twenty years now for your instructions mr stimson gave his orders plainly and briefly and was pleased with mrs carter's intelligent manner of receiving these directions upon my word i think you'll do he said kindly and now i'm going home and you'd better go and get something to eat i'd rather see lady perriam first if you please mr stimson was there ever such a woman do you never eat well you shall see your patroness james send lady perriam's maid to ask if her mistress will see mrs carter sylvia had risen to a height wherein she was not approachable without a certain amount of ceremony mr stimson drove away in his old-fashioned gig a relic of that departed age in which it was the mark of respectability to keep a gig mrs carter waited in the hall till the servant should return with lady perriam's commands a plainly dressed maid-servant came down at once upper-maid and body-servant to lady perriam who had not been allowed the luxury of a handmaiden for her exclusive service my lady will see you she said and mrs carter followed her up the dark old staircase along a wide gallery that led to lady perriam's dressing-room here the wood-fire and lighted candles made the darkly panelled room almost bright lady perriam sat before the fire in her glossy grey silk dress the sunny brown hair making a coronet above the pale brow the hazel eyes dark with thought it was a picture that sent a thrill to mrs carter's heart the room seemed splendid to eyes that had for many years looked only on poor and sordid surroundings sylvia received the stranger as it behoved lady perriam to receive a dependent and inferior she did not rise from her armchair to offer the traveller welcome but looked at her with a deliberate scrutiny anxious to see whether her protege's appearance were likely to bring discredit on herself i am glad you have come here without loss of time mrs carter she said with a distant graciousness which did not invite familiarity and i hope you may be able to make yourself comfortable here there is no fear of that lady perriam answered mrs carter in tones that faltered a little though she tried to make them calm 
it is quite sufficient happiness for me to be near you apart from that source of happiness which can count for very little i should think between people who are so strange to each other as you and i are you will have i trust a comfortable home mrs carter was still standing no word no gesture of lady perriam's had invited her to be seated the comforts of such a house as this are very new to me madam i shall know how to appreciate them she answered quietly she had schooled herself to command her tones by this time but tears glittered in the faded eyes tears which she quietly brushed aside and of which lady perriam appeared unconscious and you will know how to keep your own secrets i hope and those of other people you will be dumb about any facts in my father's life which in your former acquaintance with him may have come to your knowledge i am not likely to speak of your father lady perriam i shall consider that a sacred promise on your part let it be a promise i shall not be tempted to break it very well i will trust to your honour and now tell me if i did wrong in sending for you in believing that you must have some experience of sickness you guessed rightly in my struggles for a livelihood i have acted as sick nurse amongst other patients i had one afflicted with paralysis that is fortunate then i shall not feel i am doing wrong in trusting you to attend upon my husband bear in mind that you will have to please our doctor mr stimson as well as me i shall do my duty to the utmost of my power lady perriam you will occupy a room on this floor near sir aubrey's it has been got ready for you i believe you will take all your meals there alone and will have no occasion to associate with the servants your duties will not oblige you to sit up at night unless sir aubrey should become worse than he is now but you will hold yourself ready to attend him at any hour of the night should his valet call you i understand madam i am not afraid of work or late hours i can be satisfied with very little sleep i am glad to find you have one of the qualities of a good nurse now you had better go to your own room stay i'll order some refreshment for you added lady perriam with her hand upon the bell one moment madam said mrs carter stopping her i want to thank you for your goodness in remembering one so fallen so wretched in providing a home for the desolate i had no opportunity to acknowledge the gifts you sent me for i feared lest any letter from me might compromise you but i felt your goodness not the less and that in your exalted station in a change of fortune wonderful enough to turn an older head than yours you should remember my misery pierces me to the heart ah lady perriam you can never know how deeply sylvia's eyes those eyes so little given to weeping were dimmed by the time the woman had done speaking the lashes drooped on her cheek and she lowered her eyelids as if to hide those tears you owe me no thanks she said after a pause i am very glad to be of some service to you i regret that the circumstances of my life prevent me serving you in any other way than that which opportunity offers in spite of what you call my exalted position i am by no means my own mistress i can fully understand that madam it is only waifs and strays that are altogether free agents said mrs carter bitterly for her freedom had meant solitude and semi-starvation i am glad to serve you repeated sylvia and i ventured to hope that if i ever should need help of any kind you will be my friend yes to the death answered the other with intensity that means an unscrupulous friend does it not asked sylvia musingly looking down at the fire 
a friend who would not stick at trifles if an unpleasant service were required it means devotion you would not be likely to ask anything that involved wrong-doing you had better not think too well of me i make no claim to be considered faultless no one is faultless lady perriam on this earth but i hope and believe that you are as good and pure as humanity can be sylvia sighed and was silent for a little while before replying to this last speech of mrs carter's i am the creature of circumstances she said at last women are too weak to rise above their destiny i am something of a fatalist mrs carter a dangerous doctrine lady perriam is it i am sorry for that but come you have had nothing to eat or drink since your journey have you no i was more anxious to see and thank you than to eat sylvia rang the bell and the maid appeared see that mrs carter sir aubrey's nurse has dinner or tea or whatever she likes best in her own room said lady perriam you remember the instructions i gave you this morning yes my lady the room is ready and i have taken in the tea-things and a dish of cold meat for mrs carter you will give mrs carter wine or anything she pleases thank you lady perriam but i take neither wine nor beer you are a teetotaler perhaps i have taken no pledge but a nurse cannot keep her head too clear i shall take nothing but tea and coffee while i am in your service that must be as you please good-night good-night madam you will begin your duties as soon as you have dined yes madam mr stimson has told me all i have to do lady perriam bent her head courteously as the new nurse retired martha led the way to another door in the same gallery and ushered mrs carter into a comfortably furnished bedroom a fire burned cheerily in the wide basket-shaped grate and a round table with a tea-tray and plates and dishes on spotless damask had been drawn near the hearth such comfort plain and unadorned as it was struck mrs carter deeply when the servant had left her she sat for a little while looking about her with wondering eyes such comfort seemed like a dream am i really to occupy such a house as this she thought hardly able to believe in her exalted fortune to live with my own daughter and to see her every day and yet never dare to open my arms and clasp her to my longing heart to feel the words trembling on my lips yet never dare to say child i am your mother thirty eight the heir of perriam weeks and months passed on and sir aubrey perriam's condition underwent little change either for better or worse he had been struck down in the prime of life he was now a helpless and in all semblance an aged man his intellect keen enough within its somewhat narrow range a few months ago had now dwindled to the obscure and clouded mind of dotage he was not mad he had no wild delusions no strange imaginings the clouds that darkened his mind never opened to show him visions of the unreal he held no mysterious converse with invisible interlocutors he evoked no company of shadows out of the world of fancy he was only a foolish old man with a weak memory and no interest in life save in the most trifling details of his monotonous existence he who had been formerly remarkable for the polish of his placid manners was now captious and irritable selfish and exacting 
unconscious how much he was demanding he would have kept his young wife a perpetual prisoner to the sick-room and deprived her of all contact with the outer world saving during the hours when she walked slowly to and fro beside his invalid chair upon the terrace above that peaceful hollow where the family vault awaited his coming only by some exercise of diplomacy could lady perriam taste the joys of occasional liberty but as time wore on she learnt how to manage her invalid husband how to seem to comply without complying how to avoid all hazard of irritating him and yet have her own way mrs carter was of the utmost service to her in this matter always able to smooth away difficulties to appease the baronet's wrath when he was inclined to be angry altogether an invaluable servant to lady perriam the nurse kept her solitary place apart from the household rarely left her own or the invalid's room save to take the air in attendance upon sir aubrey held no converse with the other servants scrupulously avoided all familiarity yet was never uncivil the result of this uniform and blameless conduct may be easily imagined not one of the perriam place servants liked mrs carter she was pronounced proud artful secret a person who under the smoothest outward semblance concealed the deepest and most dangerous designs it was seen by the servants that lady perriam took more notice of mrs carter than of any other dependent and this weighed heavily against the nurse sylvia could hardly be said to be familiar even with mrs carter but she was kinder and more gracious to her than to any one else in the household and the servants talked of favouritism i've served in this house as girl and woman for nigh upon forty years said mrs spicer the housekeeper and i've never yet set up for being a favourite i make my curtsy to sir aubrey to-day if i meets him anywheres as humble as i made my curtsy to him when i first come as a scullery-maid a mere slip of a girl but here is this mrs carter living upstairs in her own room and having her meals served up to her at her own table and being waited on by them as is good enough to sit down with her any day in the week i should hope i think she's seen better days though mrs spicer said mary dawson the upper maid she has it in her looks and in her ways somehow her hands are as white as curd soap and as small as any lady's and she has such a soft way of speaking and i've seen her handwriting too quite like a young lady at boarding-school i suppose she's come over you with her quiet ways answered the housekeeper no she's no favourite of mine she's so silent and she must be proud or she'd scarcely keep every one at a distance as she does but she's always polite too polite muttered mrs spicer she's like lady perriam herself there's no getting at the bottom of her do you know said mary dawson i've sometimes thought that she's rather like lady perriam in the face allowing for age and all that allowing for a precious lot i should think exclaimed mrs spicer there's not much likeness between that poor faded thing and lady perriam mary dawson's suggestion was negatived by general consent no one could see any likeness between the nurse and her mistress sir aubrey had been in his helpless melancholy condition about four months and it was warm summer once more and the corn yellowing in the fertile fields between headingham and perriam place when an event occurred which added considerably to sylvia's importance and made the future at once bright and smooth for her ambition the baronet's proudest hope was realized when he had lost all power to taste the sweetness of that once longed-for joy his young wife bore him a son merrily rang the chimes of headingham and monkhampton 
the one monotonous bell of Perriam church clanging in amidst those sweeter peals on the evening of the baby's birth a glorious july evening all the rich landscape and the distant ocean steeped in soft yellow light edmund standon heard those joy bells as he smoked his after-dinner cigar strolling about the garden with esther and his mother heard and wondered at the unaccustomed sound what can they all be ringing for said esther it isn't the ringers practising night there go the monkhampton bells as well as ours are the english fighting anywhere and winning battles edmund you know how little i read the newspapers no essie england is honourably neutral just at present those joy peals do not proclaim the triumph of our arms some victim at the hymeneal altar i suppose they'd have rung this morning if it had been for a wedding replied esther who couldn't quite get over her wonder at those unusual joy bells the old gardener syringing an adjacent rose-tree touched his hat and ventured to address the young lady of the house begging your pardon miss i met jim baker the under-gardener at the place as i was coming back from tea and he told me as lady perriam has got a son born this afternoon mebbe it war for that the bells was ringing no doubt giles answered esther with a nervous look at edmund his cheek browned healthily by many a ride to and fro between dean house and the bank and by many a run with the hounds last winter paled at the mention of that too well remembered name her son and one of his brightest sweetest daydreams in his brief summer-time of love and hope had been a vision of the day when sylvia's first child should be laid in his unaccustomed arms sylvia's child and his poor sir aubrey said mrs standon almost as if she read her son's thoughts on his clouded brow he will have little pleasure in the birth of his son the joy-bells rang on and every note was bitterness to edmund's heart he left the three ladies to stroll up and down among the flower-beds and went for one of those long solitary rambles with which it was his wont to solace himself when the pangs of memory were too sharp to be endured with a smiling countenance and that cheery easy manner which made him so dear to the household he had borne his grief wonderfully the women who loved him told one another with thankful spirits he shared all their small pleasures was the best of sons the most indulgent of uncles the most devoted of brothers he only who wore the shoe knew how it galled and pinched edmund standon wore his shoe with so good a grace that his womankind fondly believed in his cure the struggle had been sharp and short they thought and with one wrench he had plucked sylvia carew out of his heart were sir aubrey's death to set her free to-morrow she would hardly win edmund back again he knew her too well to be again her victim grief like jealousy is apt to make them eat it feeds on feeling the birth of sir aubrey's heir a source of supreme bitterness edmund stanton must needs bend his steps towards perriam place as if anxious to drain that bitter draught to the dregs he went across the well-known fields in the summer gloaming bean-fields where the perfumed blossoms seemed fittest abodes for elves and fairies clover-fields that looked darkly purple in the fading light by wide stretches of feathery oats by a bit of woodland where the thick fern filled the hollows trembling like green water with every breeze and so as if summoned by that one monotonous bell to the churchyard in the hollow with its ivy-mantled stone wall wall of mellowest greys and browns with hearts-tongue ferns pushing their slender fronds out of every crevice the bell lapsed into silence as edmund entered the little lane leading to the churchyard gate 
a narrow lane with the wall on one side and a tall hedge on the other a deep gully between a green meadow and the rustic burial-ground people who live in the country are fond of churchyards and god's acre seems a natural lounging-place a trysting spot for lovers a playground for children a tranquil scene where age may meditate upon life's brevity and the wide hopes beyond it edmund went into the churchyard climbed the low wall and seated himself on the top of it from this position he could survey the italian garden and the south front of parium place whose lighted windows showed dimly in the summer dusk he lighted his cigar let the smoker's disappointment be ever so bitter he mechanically seeks consolation from tobacco he sat smoking and looking dreamily at those faintly shining windows is she happy i wonder he mused she has a new source of happiness the mother's joy which should be very deep a new life begins for her from to-day a new life in which self must needs be put secondary in all her thoughts she will taste her child's innocent joys suffer his baby sorrows forget her own desires in his and thus she will be further away from me than ever until to-day there may have been some faint regret for me still lingering in her heart after to-day i shall be the most insignificant atom in creation in comparison with that new-born child happy privilege to succeed to a new inheritance of hope new capacities for joy he thought and with deepest compassion of the afflicted husband and father the clouded brain which this new light of home could hardly brighten the particulars of sir aubrey's sad condition were tolerably well known in the neighbourhood mr stimson the surgeon affected to be reserved upon this point but by nods and frowns and shrugs and confidential admissions to particular friends had made the state of the case known far and wide the servants also had tongues and knew how to use them while edmund standon sat looking at the windows and smoking a man who also had a cigar in his mouth came with a brisk step along the terrace and leaned with folded arms upon the stone balustrade a few paces from the spot where edmund was seated in this newcomer mr standon recognized mr bain the solicitor with whom he had frequent dealings in his professional capacity mr bain would as certainly recognize him it was best therefore to accost the agent edmund thought lest there should appear anything surreptitious in his occupation of that particular spot a nice evening for a country ramble mr bain he said cheerfully bless me it is you mr standon exclaimed the agent i shouldn't have expected to see you so far from dean house after dinner that's because you don't know my habits there's nothing i like better than an evening ramble with no company except my cigar isn't that a rather misanthropical turn of mind for so young a man as you are mr standon i don't know about misanthropy but i know it's pleasant to be able to think one's own thoughts now and then instead of making conversation and you've chosen such a nice spot for your evening's meditations replied mr bain now i suppose that old churchyard lying under the shadow of this terrace with its balustrade and antique vases and statues and so forth is a scene which poets and that sort of people would call romantic i think one need hardly be a poet or a painter to admire this old churchyard really now asked mr bain with an incredulous air you see it's out of my way as a man of business if i were owner of yonder house i should object to a burial ground so near my water supply i should fancy everything i ate and drank was flavoured with the ashes of my ancestors have you heard the bells ringing 
it would be rather difficult to avoid hearing them answered edmund with well-assumed carelessness this is a great day for parium said mr bayne between two puffs of his cigar you consider the birth of an heir a great advantage yes in this case certainly sir aubrey is only tenant for life and the estate would go to a far distant cousin if he were to die childless i know how anxiously he desired an heir is he pleased at the accomplishment of his desire as pleased as he can be at anything poor man his capacity for joy of any kind is limited i imagine from your tone mr bayne sighed and shook his head with a melancholy air that's a subject i don't much care about discussing he replied after a brief silence fortunately he added with a keen glance at the young man's face just visible to him in the twilight whatever decay there may be in sir aubrey's mental state his bodily health is remarkably good indeed i shouldn't wonder if he were to live as long as you or i starting with a considerable disadvantage said edmund yes but we live fast where our brains and fatigue our bodies to the utmost he lives like a baby neither thinks nor labours sleeps as placidly as an infant in its cradle and as he has very little memory lives almost without care i see no reason why he should not live to be ninety not once did edmund stand and inquire about lady parium he knew not how near she might have been to the gates of death knew not if her peril were ended was she not dead to him already could death remove her farther from him or divide them more completely than her falsehood had divided them yet he would have given much in that hour to know how she fared it was only his fear of compromising her that prevented his questioning mr bayne as to her welfare he spoke a little of indifferent matters finished his cigar and wished the agent good-night shadrach bayne leaning with folded arms upon the broad stone balustrade watched the departing figure till it vanished in the narrow lane this rather confirms my notion he said to himself i thought there'd been something more than a passing flirtation between those two mr standen was deeply hit at any rate though he contrives to carry it off pretty well but she doesn't take matters quite so easily the lightest mention of his name brings the blood into her cheek and leaves it ashy pale a minute after you'd better make haste and cure yourself of that fancy lady parium for if ever you become a widow i don't think you'll find it to your advantage to marry edmund standen End of chapters 37 and 38